The texts for the sermon are on page 5 in the bulletin if you want to read along with me. Genesis 2.8 The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he informed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Ecclesiastes 3 What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Deuteronomy 14, 24-26 And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to send his name there, then you shall turn it into money, and bind up the money in your hand, and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses, and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and rejoice, you and your household. John 5:17. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This is the word of the Lord. All right, when a preacher gets up to start talking about money, that's always a problem, right? Uh, uh, and that's what we're doing, again, in our series. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it's... There's a reason why it's been three years and three months before we, we broached this subject. Uh, and that's because Pastor Howard and I have been nervous about how it would be perceived to talk about funds and resources and all that kind of stuff. And really, it's actually people who have mentored us and people who are a little older in the faith who have said, um, said, okay, at some point you're going to just have to talk about it. You know that. You, you guys are just going to have to talk about it because it's in the scriptures. And so, um, it's so much in the scriptures, it's a little ridiculous. I was reading, um, I, I read up about it, uh, 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 in, um, uh, on the internet and uh, they have all these uh, in some ways really kind of cheesy internet sites about giving and all that kind of stuff but I was, I was reading uh, from an excerpt from a book and I'm just going to read a couple of facts for you throughout the entire Bible there are roughly 2,350 verses concerning money or work it's roughly twice as many as on faith and power combined 15% of everything Jesus said was related to money or possessions Goodness gracious. He spoke about money and possessions more than heaven and hell combined. The only subject Jesus spoke more of about money is the kingdom of God. Isn't that crazy? So we've neglected our duties a little bit, I think. Uh, if, we were, if we were to strike the comments from Jesus about money, we would reduce his teachings by more than one-third. Uh, Sixteen of Jesus' 38 parables had to do with possessions, money, justice, economic justice, that kind of thing. One of every seven verses in the first three books of the Bible has to do with money. I didn't know that. I mean, I'm seminary trained four years. I should have known that. But uh, uh, that's amazing. And the reason why pastors get nervous about this is because of, frankly, our brothers and sisters who are other pastors who only talk about money. And uh, and somehow they're, they just get nicer cars and clothes and, and stuff like that, you know, and it, it works out that way. And so we get real nervous when we're trying to do it well. Um and if you've been here for the last few weeks, we've been talking about money as it can be an idol, as it can be something that you worship, that it's something that cannot just you have possession over, but it can have possession over you. 
Uh, and that's really true. And we've talked about all those things. And we're going to get to some real nuts and bolts. I know everybody's been screaming for the nuts and bolts. Uh, that's next week. Uh, Pastor Howard's going to talk about uh, uh, kind of some of the patterns in the scriptures for giving. Uh, but this week what I want to do is kind of come off a little bit of the, the hard uh, uh, be afraid of money because it can have you stuff. Uh, and talk about some good things that are in Scripture. Uh, so you have the whole umbrella of those 2,350 uh, verses. Most of them are warnings, frankly, about how uh, finances can harm us, how uh, our love of money uh, becomes the root of all evil uh, or all sorts of evils, um, uh, w- how we can be captured by it. And uh, I think I've told you before that, uh, that, uh, that Jesus even calls it mammon. He gives it a name like it's a person or something. It's uh, one of the very few things that he uh, sends, if you will, that he uh, that he he gives uh, uh, like a personified relationship to. You know, you can it can have you. It can be your boss, if you will. But we're going to talk a little bit about uh, work and money as good things. Work and money as good things. This is not a radical statement, and it may feel a little bit teachy and a little less preachy. But but I want we want to walk through those a little bit more. Um, as we go, because work is a good thing. Work is good. And I got some bad news for you. Here it is. Before the fall, people worked. Your bad days at work are not because of Adam and our sin. Read with me. Genesis 2.8, we're before the fall. And the Lord God planted in the garden in Eden in the east, and there he put a man and put the man who he had formed. Genesis 2.15, seven verses down, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work is a pre-fallen activity. I'm sorry, because we all working for the weekends, right? Unless you musicians have to work on the weekends. Sorry about y'all. You know, but uh, uh, y'all working for Monday. Uh, uh, but... Uh, um, you know, but work is a pre-fallen deal. God uh, asks Adam and Eve to take care and tend and keep uh, the garden and, and attend to its fruit and its beauty. And all this before the fall. Sometimes we think of heaven as that perfect utopian nirvana-like state where we're sipping fine wine and eating peeled grapes. <laughs> but that's not the picture Scripture gives us. The picture Scripture gives us is toiling and tending and caring for the garden. Toiling may be a little strong, but working and attending to, keeping uh, and working uh, in the garden before we rebelled, before sweatshops and slavery, before scandals, 80-hour work weeks, uh, overblown bonuses, and before living wage fights, we worked. And it was a good thing. In fact, if I'm reading Genesis 1 right, before this Genesis 2 part, which is a a kind of a companion piece to this Genesis 2, it says that it wasn't just good, it was very good. Take dominion over the earth, he says to both uh, Adam and Eve. Subdue the animals and keep the garden. And it was very good the sixth day. Very good even. But work isn't just good uh, because it's a pre-fall activity. Work is good because we're called to delight in it. Now that seems 
really odd now. Now it's just that it was good, but we're supposed to delight in it. And I need to give some street cred to Ecclesiastes here. Nobody knows the na- know who wrote Ecclesiastes. Everybody's got these great theories, but nobody knows. He doesn't tell us. So uh, Ecclesiastes is a guy who, if you just read this section, you'd think, what a pie in the sky, crazy guy. He thinks, oh, he must have, he must get getting paid because he's got a great job. That's why he loves it so much. Um, but He's the guy who, if you read Ecclesiastes, is Mr. Postmodern Cynic Angst Guy. He is clearly the guy who was a latchkey 80s kid who's really frustrated and finds no meaning in the world. In fact, he's got quotable quotes like, I hated life. All is meaningless. In fact, the passage of Ecclesiastes starts with meaningless, meaningless. The world is meaningless. I mean, you got, you know, he plays in a Seattle rock band, you know, you, you know, I mean, you, 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 it just doesn't get, you know, it's all bad all the time. Life, he says, is chasing after wind. And this is what he writes. See, I needed to get some street cred. He also, he knows that work is a terrible place and people are oppressed there. And that he has in mind things like slavery and sweatshops or equivalents in the ancient Near East. He says, I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power has been on the side of the oppressor. Okay, so you got enough street cred for him now? Okay, ready? What gain was the worker from his soil? I have seen the business uh, that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. This is from your passage we read. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Everything is beautiful in time, joyful, eternity in our hearts, eating and drinking, delighting in the toil of our hands. And now i got to tell you about bump and grind concrete. The people who did our concrete downstairs named bump and grind. Now you can imagine how many jokes we had in the office about bump and grind. <laughs> Calling up the administrator, say, hey, just write a little check to bump and grind if you don't mind. Uh, uh, no pastoral problems here. Bob, bump and grind concrete. And well, the best thing about it is, uh, uh, well, you would just think who bump and grind concrete would be. When they come in the door, they don't look like that at all. There's one guy, one guy under 40, and everybody else is older. I don't know why they got bump and grind concrete, but it's brilliant. Um, uh, so, so. But they, they, they came in and did our concrete. We had a couple guys jump in and do our concrete and, uh, and, and just do some leveling and stuff. And it was just... You know, it was all about the paycheck. It was all about getting it done uh, uh, and just make it happen and, and do the minimal job. But when Bump and Grind came, they came uh, and really took care, had all these ideas about what to do. When you go down there, you'll see this incredible edge they put on it and said, maybe we can do a double stain. They walked around the place uh, in the arts district in Nodal. These guys are not arts district guys, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, they're country boys from Alabama. They're awesome, but they're country boys from Alabama. And, uh, and, uh, and they walked around and they attended to it and they, uh, and they, and they came up with great ideas and the place looks spectacular. If you've been, if you would have seen downstairs, it was just a nasty hundred year old basement. 
And now it's got this great marbled look on it. And it was really great because we're talking afterward and they were taking pictures. They put so much care to it that they're actually coming back for the open house or the uh, grand opening on the 11th so they could come and look at it and, and show off, rightly so, what the good work of their hands. And we're talking and he was like, yeah, uh, you know, we, we, we do the concrete, that's a bit, but we really want to be artists as well. We want to be, uh, he said artisans, but you get it, artisans. We want to be artisans. I, I, I am not laughing in that. that uh, because of exactly what he was doing, it was brilliant. Artisans who care for it, who care for the, the concrete in a way that brings beauty and delight to the labor of their hands, that functionality is not the only thing, that beauty matters. Would your spreadsheets you develop have the beauty of an artisan? I know that some of you are uh, flipping hamburgers and some of you are flipping through textbooks. If that is the labor you're called to, would you delight in it? Would you care for it? Would you think about it? I know some of you uh, are, are changing engines out and some of you are changing diapers. There's a, there's a sense in which there's beauty and dignity and delight in the work that we do. There's a guy, Scotty Welton and I used to go to this place on Subway on Central Avenue all the time. And, uh, and Scott and I would go there because there was an artisan sandwich maker. He was incredible. He actually now owns it or at least operates the dish on Central Avenue. But think of years at Subway. He had a pesto stash. You're not supposed to have pesto in a Subway. Maybe now with all their frou-frou meals now, but not seven, eight years ago, he had a pesto stash. And so you get the vegetable subway and say, hey, can I get a little pesto on that? And he'd go, yeah, let me get that for you. Give you some extra cheese on there. An artisan, really fabulous. That's what we need to do. That's the dignity we call to, the delight that the Lord calls us to in that kind of work. Delight in our toil. I know it's hard. I know this sounds a little bit silly. I know there's a curse. At the, at, after the fall, it says there will require sweat of our brow and there will be thorns and thistles amid our labor. I know all that, but there are thorns and thistles working for Subway, I can guarantee you. There were thorns and thistles downstairs in that basement, I can assure you. You may be going, well, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't really, you know, my style. This is not what I, what I, what I do. But I want you to, to think about uh, uh, one other motivating reality and that, that, that what God's calling us to in work and why work is good is because work is also a mirror. It's something to reflect God in. If you notice those first two verses in your passage, one is God creating the garden and then us creating the garden. And if we went back to Genesis 1, we have uh, what this incredible statement about who we are as image bearers, imaging, reflecting who God is. And you go, well, I'm not a gardener, I'm not a farmer. But do you know the richness for which the way the scriptures teach about who God is and what he does? The ways in which we can reflect God. Do you know that God is considered uh, physician-like, if you will, in Jeremiah, where he's called uh, the one who brings healing to the people? Or architect and builder. I'm going to read through some scriptures here for you. Architect and builder. For he is looking forward to the city, Hebrew says, with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Tailor even. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam. 
a real real estate management person. I'm not really good at labeling these, but uh, in my father's house are many rooms. Uh, and if it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going to prepare you a place. Chef, party planner, and even wine critic. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Astronomer. He speaks to the sun, and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens. He is the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He's a teacher. God God who is exalted in power. Who is the teacher like him? Governor, judge, legislature, for the Lord is the judge, the Lord is the lawgiver, the king who will save us. Counselor, psychologist, if you are a psychiatrist. This, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as being uh, uh, the one who... Uh, well, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Attorney, even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high, scripture says. Uh, financial manager. And for a long time the master of those servants returned and he settled the accounts with them. That's in a parable where God is that, that person. Orator and writer. Deuteronomy 5 says that these are the commandments he's proclaimed claim them in a loud voice, and then writes them down on the ta- tablets. Engineer, were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Across it. On what are its footing sets? And on who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? Shouted for joy. And lastly, because we're no doubt artists. And he's filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. You know what this says, don't you? Whatever you do, you can reflect God himself in your labor. That's an amazing thing that we are this mirror to God. That we, that we look to the one who works, who, who labors on this earth and toward this earth and in our hearts. And we are changed and formed and shaped by him. And this is why, uh, this is why it's such a great thing because your work does matter to God. This is why it's such a big deal when Paul says, if you're not working, you shouldn't really eat. He, why would you be idle when you have this great working God before you? He says, they are busy, but not busy bodies, Paul says. Such a people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. That is why we're so many warnings about just wages and, and fighting oppression of the poor and ensuring good conditions for laborers. Because our God is a hard worker and a just worker who's intending to bring this about justly. And he's not going to take advantage of the people who work for him. That we celebrate, that we delight in our work. Okay, so work's good. What about getting paid? (laughs) There's a lot of options about getting paid, and there again, 2,350 verses that give us all sorts of warning about seeking after money sometimes, too much. But if work is good, money is good too. I'm going to have to do a lot of qualifying here in a little bit about all that. You know that. And the whole sermon series does qualifying about that. But I want you to hear... Pay for your labors is good. Work is good. Wages are good. Jesus himself says a worker is worth his wages. Leviticus tells us to not defraud a neighbor or rob him and don't hold back the wages of the hired person. 
Do not take advantage, Deuteronomy says, of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he's a brother Israelite or he's a foreigner and alien in your towns. Jeremiah says, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper room by injustice, by making his countrymen work for nothing, not paying them for labor. Jesus says, A worker is worth his wages. Now here's the really crazy part. Jesus says a worker is worth his wages. And you know who he's talking about? It's either the 12 or 72 itinerant preachers he sent, he sent out. Now, let's be sure of something economically here. Itinerant preachers do very little in terms of a boon to an economy. And he says they even are worth their wages. These gals up here, you guys, you're worth the work that you do. You're, you're worth a wage towards it. I know you're not getting paid much, and I know most of those thousands of dollars are tied in uh, uh, airplane tickets, and I know you don't need a lot to live on in Peru, but you're worth it. It is worth raising money and asking people to raise money for it. It is worth that effort. It is it, Your work is worth it because it reflects the glory of God, it be, because uh, money is a good thing in the hands of those who will use it justly. I just can't think of, I mean, it just baffles me that uh, itinerant preachers uh, are, are worth their labor when they actually have no kind of value-added economically reality into the world. But he says it. That's who he's talking about. And this means it's okay to ask your boss for a raise. It's really okay. It means that it's okay to make a lot of money depending on your industry and how justly, assuming that it's just that you pursue it. If you make millions and millions of dollars for your company, it's okay to get one or two of those. It's okay. Now, we can talk, again, I'm going to have to qualify a lot. Of course, there's all sorts of issues with that. We'd have to talk about that. We want to surround ourselves with people who are dealing with those kind of things well. But if you make some money for your company, it's okay to ask for some of that back. And if you are uh, overseeing that in any way, it's your responsibility to make a worker worth their wages. It's your responsibility to see that forward if you're managing and dealing with people like that. It's right to receive a just and fair wage. And it's right for us to pursue it in others and to pursue it for ourselves. And now I'm going to say something that's really... uh, uh, If money is good, and I can say that in light of all the things we also said, is that money or wages are not just good. They are a blessing to which we delight in. Now this is hard because there are so many who stand behind things like this that talk about if you send me the money, then the Lord will give you your financial blessing. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying to some degree, financial security is the Lord's blessing. Sometimes that's going to be easy for us to hear, for those of us who've struggled financially, and for those of us who've never struggled financially, of course the Lord's blessing. And sometimes it's opposite because we pine after it way too much. But money is the Lord's blessing. And let's turn to Deuteronomy for that. Now, the background of this is that they are actually, this section, Deuteronomy 14, is talking about tithe, which is giving back to the Lord uh, a percentage, in this case 10% back to the Lord. Uh, and you're supposed to do that in the center of the city, at the temple. You're supposed to bring it to, bring it there as a sacrifice, an offering, and, you're, and, and, uh, and that's in Jerusalem, so you've got to do it, you, you know, you have to travel to it. But some people live too far away to do that, and so the Lord gave a provision for that. And if this, and now we're in the reading scriptures, and if the way is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe, and the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, 
Then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord God, your God chooses and spend the money on whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. Money, money is a blessing to be delighted in, to, 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 to spend on good drink. Now, it doesn't say anytime you get money, that means the Lord blessed you because we got stealing as an option and, you know, uh, gouging wages and all sorts of injustices that, that, that are a problem. It doesn't mean that all money all the way is always a blessing because all we need to do is watch a couple Where Are They Now episodes or, uh, you know, what, in their whole TV show on Windfall or something like that. And I haven't even seen a show yet, but I imagine the premise is it's going to make everybody nuts, you know, and uh, and they'll start doing all sorts of bad things. It doesn't mean all money all the time is good. It doesn't say, say that money is the primary blessing of God. No, that's the, the Lord himself, his spirit coming to you and, and, and and uh, being your God. I didn't say that if you have money, for, there you, for you have no responsibilities but to enjoy and delight in them. I don't think that's true either. And I didn't say that getting money is something that you strive for even. I didn't even say that. But I did say that money is a good thing and we're to delight in it. It's funny because sometimes in this passage in general, this is in specific, is this is coming off of people who are slave people who are about to give land, get land, who are get, who have land in their midst now, and they were slave people who were property, who are now given property. That's part of redemption in the Old Testament, that you'd be a people of dignity and that you'd have your own stuff, and that's a good thing, and that you'd use that stuff and, uh, and, and use it well to the glory of God, and you should see that as a blessing from the Lord. It is blessed in verse 24, seeming a, a, a bumper crop, it seems like, and to sell some of it and rejoice and eat and drink on it, whatever your appetite craves, and eat before the Lord. And that's that delight again. It is not a hedonistic, this is my money, I do what I want to do with it, I'm the man, I'm a grown man, I can spend it as I wish. This is not, uh, I got my money, my mind on my money, and my money on my mind all the time. <laughs> This is not, um, sorry about that. Uh, I may be a little too white for that one. Uh, uh, except for I know the song, so I'm maybe not that white. This is, this is, this is, remember the eating and drinking is before the Lord. It's a proper relationship to that delight. I hope that on the 11th when we particularize, which is a word nobody understands that means organize as a church. I, I have no idea why we use that word. But that when we organize as a church on the 11th, that we will celebrate well. We're planning on having catered, a catered food. We plan on having wine and beer and water and, and drink and, 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 uh, and, and eating. We plan on celebrating while we're here. We plan on, on, on eating before the Lord, delighting in His provision. We plan on doing that. We plan on taking up an offering to pay for it too. But we, we, but, but, but we, we sorry. Uh, but we, we, we got to, we have to see that that's truly from the Lord. And I hope we don't, are wasteful. I hope we're not silly about it. I don't hope, I hope we don't, uh, go overboard. But, but, boy, the Old Testament's filled with feasts and celebrations that would look overboard as we celebrate who the, what the Lord has done. We'll eat before the Lord. Now, let me make sure you know one thing. 
that the delight we do, the delight in having resources, the delight in being, if you will, even a benefactor, a, a, a philanthropist that the Lord would call us to, it's, it's, it's not for us alone. If you read down here, and you shall eat there before the Lord and your God, your God, and rejoice, you and your household. Now let me give you some more bad news. An ancient Near Eastern household has four or five generations in it, including servants and some employees. The Bible thinks that when we're blessed individually, that we're best corporately. When we have a bumper crop, it is for not you, us. It is for all of us. And there's a delight in being able to provide for your family that way. First Timothy is this really interesting thing. It says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, which is the four generations, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's not very American, is it? Part of us having the blessing and delight of having our resources to be able to give it away to those around us. That means as we think about bumper crops, bumper years, that we give it to those, we provide for those in need among us. You will be made rich in every way, Second Corinthians says to a particular people, so that you may be generous, generous on every occasion. Jesus says, for everyone who's given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And before you start thinking about everybody else who has much, he's talking about you. And he says so with utter seriousness. It's a really bizarre uh, uh, bizarre thing. Because that, you know, you've heard that before, everyone is given much, required much, and all that stuff. And it always sounds like something you could stick, like, right next to your uh, your bumper sticker that says, you know, practice random acts of kindness and, 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 and whatever, patience or whatever. I don't know the bumper sticker. But, um, but it sounds like a really nice thing. You know how the Lord couples it in front and back? It's actually in the middle of a parable. And the first part of the parable says that the, the, the greedy person who doesn't, isn't dealing with the, the requirements much on them is actually, um, what's the word? He's beaten with blows because of his uh, insubordination and his lack of care for the people around him. And afterward, right after this passage, he says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. That's Jesus now. I'm not going to take the heat on that one. That's the, you got to deal with him on that one. But he's very serious about how much we have and what's required, not just required, but required to delight in in the giving of others. Y'all, they ain't a poor... Relatively speaking, we don't have very many poor people among us. In the ancient Near East, if you knew where your next meal was, you are rich. There wasn't a middle class. If you, if you had a good chance of where your resources would be for that next meal at least a day's worth. You are a wealthy person. You got it. You understood. We are all filled with incredible things, having plenty, if you will, plenty uh, to feast on and plenty to share that feasting with other people. I want you to think about this. I have a set of friends. Uh, I have one set, one friend um, that they got, they got to have a million dollars. I mean, I just imagine, not that I would know what that feels like, but that, that uh, but, but they've got to have that. And, uh, and when they realized they were going to be rich, <laughs> uh, about 20 years ago, they made a really concentrated effort to figure out how they could give their money away deliberately and carefully. They're up to 50% a year now of giving away. Now, look, I can't get a 5% raise without having spent it the month before I actually get the raise. 
And I was living fine before. And, and, and so you've got to think, how can we be deliberate about this? Does every raise mean lifestyle change for me? Does every raise mean lifestyle change for us? Does every marriage mean lifestyle change for others? Our family, who we are, people around us. They got the information from a guy who's a really, it's a, makes batteries, they're a famous uh, battery company, who's now, uh, he's the CEO of it, and now he's up to 90% of his income given away. Now, I mean, it's a little easier when you're making the kind of money when you, you know, I, I know that. But anybody got a plan to 20%? You know, you get what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? We need to be deliberate and thinking, wow, we have been given much. Much is required of us. All right. How are we going to get there? What do we do? What is the motivation around this? What, what, how do we think through and think about and pursue this? Because this could be an utterly condemning sermon. And I hope it's convicting. It is for me. But we're in a world of hurt if something else isn't true. If money's good and work is good and that's it, then we're shot. Because we need something else. Because everything that's happening here is what the Lord is... is, is, There's another mirroring going on, if you will. Uh, Working hard and giving generously to others are not just the foundation of some ethic that we're to carry out as if they were just marching orders. Uh, uh, Working hard and giving generously are the foundation of our very redemption in Christ. Because there is one who works hard for us. And there is one who's given generously to us. And that is the Christ himself. The reason why scriptures say we're supposed to do these things is not just uh, because he wants us to behave well, but because he wants us to mirror how he has behaved to us. And if we can grasp how he has behaved to us, then we can freely do that back to him. Then we stop counting all the things that we could have and should have had. We count what we do have and are able to freely give it away instead of clenched fists around our stuff. They're freed again, as Pastor Howard had said last week or a couple weeks ago the ethics of work and giving are important they're hugely important i think they're even dire in our day but the work and the playing out or uh, 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 and the giving play out what our redemption is and our redemption is everything back to the mirroring again god is a great worker jesus is the laborer for our souls his vocation is to create a new humanity that responds to him and his grace and his mercy and to live that out in the, in the world and bringing redemption to it. Remember, the one thing greater is the kingdom of God that's spoken about by Jesus. And he wants us to live out that kingdom of heaven. Jesus one time was working on a Sunday, which is a real problem for, uh, I guess it was a Saturday, then it was a Sabbath. He was working on a Sabbath and it was a real problem. Uh, in fact, it was such a big deal because it was Sabbath breaking, which is a breach of the Ten Commandments. And it's still a big problem today. But the good Bible-believing religious good guys of the day went nuts on him. It says that they persecuted him and committed to kill him that day. And he said this, My father has been working until now, and I am working. You know what he was talking about? You know what he did? He healed a man. That's what he did on that Sabbath day. He healed a man. What you're hearing is that Jesus is saying this, I am working 
and my Father are working. The entire Trinity has set its heart and mind on working on your healing, on my healing, on freeing us and redeeming us and changing us into the new humanity that he has. He is a tireless worker who, quote from the Scriptures, never slumbers or sleeps. I don't know the difference between the two, but that's what the Scripture says. Never slumbers or sleeps. He's after us, laboring for our restoration, laboring uh, for us to receive his forgiveness, uh, freedom. And, and what it does is that when we believe this, then we're free to work well too, delighting in all that he's done. We're free to, uh, to unclench our fists on the, on the resources and give it away, give it away now. To one more. <laughs> Sorry. It's supposed to be one more give it away, but I'm white, I can do that one. Um, if you can't believe that God is working for your redemption, you can't work for redemption. You can't even see that money is good and that work is good. If it's not a mirror image of what God's doing, if it's not a tool in the hand of the glorious God, we can't do it. Hear the prayer uh, of, of, of Paul for the Ephesians. Listen to this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. For above all rule and authority, power and dominion, think Genesis 1 and 2 again, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. Again, it's not an ethic. It's a person. It's Jesus and leaning into Him who's done it. What if you do if you're too lazy to work? You need to repent to Him, the one who works on your behalf. Forgive you of your idle hands and your rebellious heart. Ask Him to encourage you and help you and trust Him that the world is worth working in and for, even in amidst hardship and difficulty. And that your labor can be breathed, your, the dignity of your labor can be breathed into by His very Spirit. What if you do if you overwork and you're too self-identified with your labors and are hoarding uh, the glory of that for yourself? Well, you repent again for all your selfishness as if it wasn't a garden. You repent for, for, for thinking it was your garden to toil in, that it was all yours and that you're, you, you, you had it and you were able to operate as you wished in it. Repent of the ways you operate as if you didn't have a household, a church family, uh, uh, neighbors and employees. Repent and ask Him to convince you again that you, he not, you not need to hold on so tightly to your labors. And what do you do if you don't think that God cares about your work? I know some of you who are moms or some of you who are jobs and jobs that are not prestigious by the world's standards can struggle here. You need to know that the Lord says that your labor is worthwhile. That, that even if it's not a boon to the economy like being a pastor, even if it's you're an itinerant preacher or a missionary, your labors are worth a lot and are valued in His kingdom. Your vocation matters. And what do you do if you're tight-fisted? You repent of believing that God is tight-fisted with us. Repent of your mirroring such a bad image of Him and then beg God to assure you that all the riches of the inheritance of the Son are yours. And so that you can open your hand and give, uh, uh, give in delight as we care for our neighbor. We go back to that passage in Deuteronomy. There's something really interesting here that points us straight to Jesus uh, once again. And uh, if you, if you uh, look with me on that passage, when you look at Deuteronomy there, 
It's really interesting because it says that we're supposed to spend money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite crave. I want you to know something, that those things are all part of ways, and then eat before the Lord, those are all part of the sacrificial practices of the people. They're in the wrong place. They're not supposed to be doing it there. Uh, or they, they shouldn't do it there the, uh, in terms of making the sacrifices. But the oxen and the sheep and the strong drink are all part of the history of the sacrificial system of, of, uh, of, the, uh, of Israel. What he's saying is, he's, he's letting our minds do go. And they're allowed to spend it on whatever they want. I'm not trying to undo what he just said. I'm just saying that, that our gifts, our giving, the things we celebrate with, are always in light of what the Lord has done for us. The forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin and the restoration of ourselves and Him bringing us back to Himself, restoring us and making us new. You will be an arrogant or a jerk of a giver if you lose fact, sight of the fact that we all operate in a sacrificial kind of giving way and that the one true giver in all of our relationships is, uh, is, is God and we are the beggars and the ones needing receiving. Work, money, but most of all, redemption. Let's pray. Jesus, we do beg you uh, that you would give us trust in you, that we would see that you work on our behalf, that we would uh, see that you, that you labor for us and you labor for us not in vain, that we would uh, learn to trust you, hold on to you, and then give away our resources, delighting in the fact that you've paid us well and that we can help others. We ask this in your name. Amen.